0: A reading from the book of Exodus Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord. Your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they had camped there by the water. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness. To To kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. On the seventh day, Now the house of Israel called its name Banna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. The word of the Lord.
1: Lord, I thank you that when we are hungry that you don't send us away. I thank you that you feed us, that you welcome us, that you have a place for us to sit down and rest. And I pray lo- uh, now, Lord, that we would bring our hungers to you, bring our thirst to you. I pray that you would feed us with your, uh, with your bread, with your life, uh, and Lord, give us that refreshment of your Holy Spirit even now as your word is open. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Great to see you. If I haven't met you, my name is Aaron. Some here call me Father Aaron. If you'd like to know why, you can come to the intro to a manual course, but we'll talk about that later. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter, um, fifteen and sixteen. It's printed in the bulletins that you got on your way in, and um, it is toward the front of your Bible. Um, we're looking at uh, this series called "God of the Impossible," and uh, we're unfolding some of the greatest acts of God as recorded in Scripture and. This, the purpose of this is to build our faith um, in the uh, living God who is with us even today. I want to tell you about one of the most important tests I took. I was 16 years old and uh, I had gone through and finished my driving hours and it was time to get my driver's license, so I had to take the driver's license test. And I'll tell you what, the tests were two parts. There was the driving part and then there was the parking part. And I did the driving fine. I stopped at the stop signs. I yielded to pedestrians. I stayed under the speed limit, used my turn signal, and got the points necessary to, to get my driver's license. But then came the parking test. And the parking test in the large parking lot that we had there in um, sparsely populated part of Ohio, uh, they had four cones set up in the shape of a parking spot. And the and the and the assignment was that you needed to back into the parking spot as laid out without touching the cones or without knocking over the cones and i remember doing the best i could and i knocked over one of the cones and that was a disqualification and i remember thinking at the t- and i failed the test had to redo it and i remember thinking at the time this is so stupid when am i ever going to need to parallel park i mean there's parking lots everywhere around here so I couldn't see it as a 16-year-old, but that particular test for me and my calling and my life was a grace. That test was a grace. Here's uh, something that happened. First of all, not only did it reveal my lack of competence and a very key skill that I would need, but also, you know what happened is that the, the driving instructor spent extra time with me and she actually taught me a method of parking Using the rear view mirrors and using uh, using the rear rearview rear mirror and the side mirrors in a way it wouldn't have to turn around and I have used that method probably tens of thousands of times in my life now do you know that God tests his children he tests his children our Exodus reading includes two key tests from the Lord and I was so encouraged as I studied this text this month in this particular week because it struck me that these tests were a grace. These tests were a grace from God to his people. And God's tests are a grace to us, even when we fail them. And sometimes you could even say, especially when we fail the tests, his grace is seen in a way that is so clear and so rich. Because Actually, when we fail God's tests, what do we see? We see his forgiveness. We see his provision. We see him spending extra time with us, growing our faith and giving us the equipping that we need for the calling that we have in our life. And there's two particular tests in this passage that I want to point out. One is the test of suffering, and the other one is the test of limits, both of which tests us today, don't they? The test of suffering, when when life is extremely difficult, we're not getting something important that we want or that we need. The other one is the limits. Boy, the limits that we have, the limits of time, the limits of money, the limits of health, the limits of our relationships, the limits that seem to just hold us back. That is also a very acute test. And so I just ask right now, you know, how are you limited? How are you suffering? How are you being tested right now? Is there a test that you're Facing right now, you're not sure what you're going to do. Um, I want to invite you to be encouraged with me as we look at these stories and reveal and see how God reveals His grace in these tests. The first one is the test of suffering, and this really begins in Exodus 15 and verses 22 and following. Here's a little bit of context, and that is that the people of Israel, by the time we get to this story, have just been liberated. From Egypt. They've just passed through an extremely stressful and also an extremely joyful transition in their life and in the life of their nation. They just came out of 400 years of slavery. They passed through the Red Sea, or the Sea of Reeds, depending on how you, how you translate it, and they are now free. They have, they're, they're not um, in indentured servitude to the Egyptians anymore. They're not in living in fear of the Egyptians anymore. And they're following their call to a promised land. God's calling them to a land flowing with milk and honey. And so they have been through an incredible roller coaster. And they are probably hoping that things will calm down a little bit, that there won't be any more crises in their life. But what's going to happen is that God's actually going to use this moment to test them. He's going to t- and he's going to give them an extremely stressful situation to face. Let's look together in Exodus 15, verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Pause here. Three days, and this is a desert, And they didn't find any water. Now, maybe they were drinking down their supplies during these three days, or maybe they didn't have any supplies of water left during these three days. But the fact is that they've been looking for three days for water while hiking, while carrying all of their stuff, while leading their livestock through the wilderness, while leading the elderly through the wilderness, while leading little children and infants through the wilderness, and they're not finding any water. And some of you here, you go on hikes, you like to hike, some outdoorsman people, right? And it's fun to hike, but it's not fun when you don't have water. And it's not fun when you don't know where the water is going to be, right? It's extremely stressful situation when you run out of water and it's hot outside and you're hiking outside. Now, there's hope, right? Because often the distance, after three days, they can see some water in the distance. And maybe someone calls out, hey, look, there's water. And the elders say, let the children go first, they're thirsty. Let the, let the uh, elderly go first, 1st thir- they're thirsty. We're going to get some water now. And so you start rushing toward the, um, the water that you can see. And uh, and, and people dip down and they, and they start to drink the water. And then they start to gag. They start to lurch. Maybe some of them actually throw up because the water is bitter. The water cannot be digested. It's got... It's got nasty minerals in it and it, it looks fresh, but it's actually, um, it's actually toxic water. Verse 23, when they came to Mara, they could not drink the water of Mara because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara. Now, this would be so frustrating beyond comprehension to wait that long to finally find water and then to not be able to drink the water. I think one thing about tests that's hard is that most of the time it's not announced in advance from God, hey, this is what I'm doing in your life. You're just lurching by the waters because, and dehydrated and thirsty and frustrated, but there's no immediate sense of God saying, hey, I have a purpose for this. And it's just, it's the ambiguity, isn't it? The ambiguity of a test is so hard and frustrating. And you start to wonder, in the absence of a story of what am I doing? What's going on? In the absence of that, what do we do? We fill it in with our own story. And, and most of the time, is our own story usually positive and faith-filled, or is it negative and hopeless? A lot of times, our, our, the story that we fill in is kind of negative. It's someone's fault. It's God's fault, or, or, or someone else's fault, or it's my fault. And we look for someone to blame. Um, And um, so that's the test, really. How are we going to interpret the suffering? And how do the people interpret it? Verse 24, the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Now, perfectly reasonable question, right? What shall we drink? It actually sounds like they're kind of, they probably said it with a little bit more heat than it sounds like coming through the translation. But the problem is the attitude behind the question because they're grumbling against Moses. And so their spirits are bitter. The water is bitter, but their spirits are bitter. Someone someone once said that complaining about God is a sin, but complaining to God is a psalm. And so, look, I mean, the psalms are filled with complaints, aren't they? To God. It's actually an act of faith. Hey, God, I'm in pain. Where are you? I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. I'm, I'm desolate. And I'm asking for you to intervene. And why haven't you intervened? Plenty of Psalms. Two-thirds of the Psalms are in the, what we call a minor key, emotionally. Complaining about God is a sin. Complaining to God is a Psalm. But they don't do that. They complain against Moses, and they kind of blame him for it. Um, they could have said, hey, Lord, our cattle... Are dying. We're so thirsty. Deliver us. Deliver our children. Um, they take it out on Moses instead. The truth is that God was leading them. God was leading them. He, he cared about them. The pillar of cloud is still with them. It hasn't left them. God hasn't left them. And then Moses is still guiding the people of Israel based on the instructions he's getting from the Lord God. So listen, they fail the first test of suffering. And this is the point at which we expect rejection suff- uh, uh, and also um, being pushed aside, you know, be- send them away, send those faithless people away. But remember, God's tests are not traps. They're a grace. God's tests are a grace, even when we fail them. And so he is determined to reveal his his life-giving nature to his people. He's gonna reveal to them, I'm God of the impossible, but I'm gonna make that known to you in a very gracious way. And I'm gonna invite you to trust me more. So verse 25, and he, Moses, cried to the Lord. Moses takes the approach of the psalmist. He cries to the Lord and the Lord shows him a log, or you could translate this a tree. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Here's an interesting uh, detail in, in the text God shows Moses a tree, and he, instruct, he gives him a piece of instruction about that tree. Kind of reminds me of the Garden of Eden. And, um, and then Moses, instead of disobeying God's instruction about the tree, he obeys immediately. And he casts the tree, casts the log into the water. And the wood that was graciously supplied by the living God falls into the water and the wood from God cleanses the water and turns it from toxic to sweet and drinkable. And not only that, in verse 27, it says that God led them to a place where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. There's a retreat center, as it were, in Elam. There's abundant water. There's abundant shade. It's a little bit of a foretaste as if God is saying, Hey, look, do you know who I am? I am the Lord God, your Father, and I have a promised land that I'm leading you to. It's going to be a little bit like this place where there's 12 springs of water and there's 70 trees to give you shade. This is so important for us to see because how is God the God of the impossible? He does something very unique and specific that I want everyone here to know about and experience personally. God takes something that's dead and turns it into life. He will never stop doing that. He's done it from the beginning and he's doing it today. He takes something dead and turns it into life. He takes a wilderness and he turns it into a garden right here, right here in this he, you know, He takes people that are in a desert and it's like, no, you're going to be in 12 springs of water and 70 trees. Um, he takes chaotic waters from the Red Sea and, and turns it into an escape tunnel. He turns bitter waters into drinkable water. Now, why does God test us so deeply to teach us these things, right? Could, could God have sort of skipped the three days without water part of the, of the test? Why would he lead his people? Is he being mean? Is he being cruel? He's not. He's not mean. He's not cruel. God is not mean, and he's not out to get us. But he does allow suffering in our life. And in the words of one Bible scholar who says this, it was necessary for Israel to learn faith while confused, while afraid, while desperate, not just in theory, but under pressure of actual conditions where survival was uncertain and faith was tested to the limit. What's he saying? He's saying this suffering and pain are very effective. Bible uh, Bible teachers, very effective theology teachers. If we want to learn about how good the living God is, we've got to walk through the trials that he that he sends our way. Tests of suffering are going to teach us something so good about the goodness of God, the life giving nature of God. Now, there's another dimension to the suffering test. Once they refreshed from their, their thirst is refreshed with water, then there's a hunger test too. So it's like suffering part two. And 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 this suffering part two, they're going to get another shot at it. You know, it's like did you internalize the lesson about the drinkable water? Well, we're going to test that. It's the same pattern, but except this time, it's it's hunger. It's the child's hunger. It's grandma's hunger. It's your hunger. It's everybody's hunger. Everybody's really hungry. And so will they pass this test or will they blame people? Uh, Exodus 16, verse two. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses. And now they throw Aaron in there too, in the wilderness. Moses, Moses to blame, Aaron's to blame. And the people of Israel said to them, okay, so some of the politeness is starting to melt away here. They say would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full for you have brought us into out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So it gets a little nastier. But here's an interesting development in their grumbling, and it's the development of nostalgia. Nostalgia only remembers the benefits of the good old days. And filters out all of the pain, filters out also all the ways God intervened for you in what were not the good old days. Sarah Groves captures the nostalgia with this particular song lyric. She says, "This I've been painting pictures of Egypt, leaving out what it lacks." Is that good? I've been kind of painting pictures of Egypt in my head, leaving out the part about um sort of indentured servitude and. Infanticide and all of it, you know what I mean. And I've been and all I can remember are the meat pots, and um, I don't remember reading about meat pots earlier in Egypt. But but they're remembering it now. Pain fuels nostalgia, does it not? The pain of the present fuels nostalgia for the past, and and I and I'm guilty uh, of this as well. And that pain and that nostalgia only intensifies the grumbling against Moses and Aaron. So, hey, they fail the test, but remember, the test is still a grace. So, here's what God does with their nostalgia. God matches their nostalgia with a gift that will train them to stay in the present every single day for the next 40 years. He provides them with a daily gift of grace, and what he does is that he's going to rain down mercy on them that's new every morning. Verse four of Exodus 16, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So every morning, God will supply bread from heaven. It will be like a flood, but it will be like a flood of bread. The bread ends up being a delicious meal of honey-infused wafers, which would, would have been a delicacy in their time, and it will appear in sheets enough for every single person to have about two quarts a day, give or take, depending on appetites. And this was a miracle that took place every single day for six days a week for 40 straight years, and the seventh day is embedded in that sixth day. So, but... And uh, they're going to have to exercise their, they're going to actually step out of their nostalgia, step out of the funk, step out of the self-pity and get out of their tents and go gather it every day and engage with the reality of God's gift right in front of them. So you're actually going to have to move out of Egypt in your hearts one day at a time and learn that you're not an indentured servitude anymore. You're a son or a daughter of God, but you're going to have to, exercise your will one day at a time to go out and gather and thank God for the daily bread and go out and gather and thank God for the mercies that are new every morning. And you're going to have to exercise your will. The man is not just going to show up in your stomach. You're going to have to exercise your will to take part in grace. And it's beautiful. So listen, God is designing very difficult conditions for his people to walk through. But he's not doing it to be mean. He's doing it to show his grace. He's, he's doing it to open them up, open up and train them to participate in grace every single day. Participate in mercy every single day and celebrate God every single day. So test of suffering. What suffering are you in right now? What pain do you have right now? Does it feel like it's unfair? Does it feel like God's being mean? Is there any kind of temptation to complain about God, Um, wow, can we now begin to turn our pain to him? Pray like the psalmist prayed and begin to learn lessons of grace. Is there manna right now for you to to take hold of? Some provision from God to say thank you for? Let's move to the second test, the test of limits. And limits are truly a test. How will we respond when our money is limited? when our time is limited, when our options are limited, when our energy is limited. The Israelites, listen, they are, um, they've are they been conditioned for years, all their life, for unlimited work. They've been told that all you are is a worker. And so every single day they get up and work. And they work until they drop. Then they, dr- they go to sleep, they get up and they work some more. It's, it's, all, it's working all the time without any margin, without any limits, and that's what they've been trained in. Um, And so what do you think they're going to do when God asks them to rest? We're going to see here, verse five of uh, Exodus 16, on the sixth day, God says, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. And the reason is you're gathering twice as much right before the Sabbath so that on the Sabbath, you don't have to go out and gather and you have to trust that the manna that you gathered on that last sixth day is not going to spoil like all of the other days so you are supposed to get extra right before the sabbath and just trust that it's going to last you for two days now as we said you know after 400 years of generational overwork what do you think they're going to do with this test they're probably going to fail the test and and there's going to be some grace for them, isn't there? Verse 27, it's skipping down Exodus 16 to verse 27. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Now, um, of all the characteristics that we share with the Israelites, I would say that this overworked tendency is the one that maybe we can relate with the most as, as Americans, and especially as city dwellers, where like, there's a lot required of all of us to make life work in the city, and um, you know we're, we like to be capable and we like to produce, and it's it's actually sometimes work can be fun, and a lot of times it's just necessary, and so we we overwork, we we get out metaphorically speaking, and we gather we gather the manna on the seventh day, we don't rest. Some of this is just we're in a season of life that requires it, and then some of it is just fear, right? Fear of falling behind. Fear of um, displeasing people, or, or, or the system that we're in, is just like pushing us, pushing us, pushing us, and we're like, I have to. But this tends to backfire. One author captured this reality for me when he said, "This quote: We battle life to make the best use of every spare minute we have. Our lives fall somewhere between full and overflowing. We are overscheduled, tense." addicted to hurry, frantic, preoccupied, fatigued, and starved for time. Can you relate with that at all? Now, if we were on the journey, we'd probably be out there hustling for the bread on day seven. A lot of us would be. Um, but remember that God designs tests not as a trap, but as a form of grace not to necessarily reveal all of our weaknesses, although that's kind of part of what happens is we see where our heart is really at. But even more so, we get to see where God's heart is at for us when we fail. Verse 28, And the Lord said to Moses, How long will we refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Verse 29, Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remember, he's, he's like repeating what he had said before. Remain, each of you, in his or her place. Let no one go out of their place on the seventh day. Verse 30, so the people rested on the seventh day. They get another shot at it, and they learn it. This time, now, now they rest. God's heart for his children is this. Hey, look, you can trust me. You can really, really trust me with this limit that I'm giving you. Um, even limits that don't make any sense to you at all. Marva Dawn in her book on the Sabbath tells a story about uh, a group of Christians that were traveling in the 1800s from St. Louis to Oregon. And um, they were traveling by horse and and buggy. They were traveling. It was taking a long, long time. And they had to get to Oregon before the snow fell, before the blizzards began, would begin to actually stop their journey. And so um, they were keeping the Sabbath during the autumn months. In this journey, and then, but as things began to get colder, some people in the the, um, the group began to worry that unless we travel every single day, the snow and the blizzards are going to uh, to come down before we reach Oregon, and we might not make it to Oregon. And so there was some dissension in the group. There was some there were some discussions about this, some heated discussions about this. Should we use this? Should we stop on the Sabbath, or should we keep going every single day? Eventually, what the group decided was you know, it seems like we should split up into two groups here. There's a group that wants to keep the Sabbath. There's a group that doesn't want to keep the Sabbath. And so they split up into two groups. One group traveled every single day. The other group stopped on the Sabbath. Now, here's the interesting part. Which group do you think made it first to Oregon? It was the Sabbath-keeping group. And the reason is this, is that their horses were refreshed, The people were refreshed. They were actually more efficient on those six days um, than the horses and the people that were traveling every single day. Pete Scazzaro says this, when I trust God and obey his commandments, he provides. When I trust God and obey, and we could even say obey his limits, he provides. So here's a question for you. What test are you in right now? Some here are in a desert of unmet longings. You carry a deep loneliness. You long for better friends, for a partner to share your life with. Others here have a longing to be seen and encouraged to fulfill your potential. And for some reason, you got longings that are going unmet and it it seems uh, like God is being mean to you or you're missing out somehow. Unmet longing. Some here are in a desert of exhaustion. You are depleted. You are falling short on time and energy. People are looking to you for help, for life, for support. And inside of you, there's a growing bitterness because so much of so much of you is being asked for, even more than you have. Now, some here have a limit. Um, I hear a lot about the financial limits of living in the city. And and that's difficult for you. That's frustrating for you. And that's a trial. Others here are facing the test of a rejection. You you got rejected for a job. You got rejected from a school. You got rejected from a relationship. And you actually wonder if this means that God has abandoned you. As some here are facing a test to honor God's commandments. And you're tempted to not. You're tempted to shade the truth at work or dabble in an activity that God has said is off limits and it doesn't make sense to you. Intuitively, you're like, I don't think that's true. God says it's true, but you don't. maybe it feels like it's not true for you. Um, for those of us who call Emmanuel Anglican our home, we're facing the test of a worship space. We're here at AIC temporarily. It's uncomfortable. Parking is difficult. Sometimes other things are difficult about it. We're hoping and praying for something more permanent and suitable. What are we going to do in this test? Remember, with God, tests are not traps, right? Tests are grace. God designs these tests, friends. He's growing us. He's encouraging us. He's developing our faith. He's teaching us to trust him. He's teaching us to walk with him. Now, If this is true, if tests are not traps, if they're grace, does this open up any options for you? Does this open up any prayers for you? Does this open up any hope for you? Just to know that your test that you're in right now, the thing that you're facing, the thing that you're suffering, grieving, frustrated about, that this is a designed situation from a loving God who cares about you, who has great things for you. Remember that even if we fail the tests we're in, this, this opens us up to God's grace even more. Um, listen, for those who are exhausted, here's what Jesus Christ says. To the, you're exhausted from the tests that you're in. You're about ready to quit. Jesus Christ says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Even if you've broken the Sabbath, come to me. Just come to me. I've got an easy yoke for you. I will give you rest. Right? You're hungry in your test right now. You're like, I don't know how I'm gonna take another step in this test. Jesus Christ says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that gives life. I'm gonna put some holy calories in your belly. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put life inside of you and you're gonna keep walking. You're gonna keep following me. Those who are deeply thirsty, you are so thirsty for meaning. You're so thirsty for connection. You are so thirsty for, for something rich. And spiritual, but right now you've just been taking in bitter waters. You've been drinking bitter waters. You've been drinking waters that are contaminated and polluted and are just like drying you out on the inside. And Jesus Christ says, I am the living waters. Whoever comes to me, that there will be a well, not only will your thirst be refreshed, but you yourself will be a source of refreshment to others as the well of eternal life springs up from within you in Jesus. By the grace of God, our tests, friends, they're not traps. Why? At the end of the day, it's because the living God, the God of the impossible, is with us in our tests. He's with us in our tests. He opens the heavens, friends. He cleanses the waters, and he restores our soul. He can do it for you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.